The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. I'm so grateful for this morning. I want to invite you, if you have your Bibles with you, grab them, open with me to 1 Timothy 5 uh, this morning. 1 Timothy 5, you can open with me, scroll with me, however you get there. Um, As we open up our text, we are going to settle in on three short verses this morning. And uh, overall, we are going to talk a lot about wisdom this morning. And uh, Paul is writing this letter to Timothy uh, as a leader in the church. And, and basically what he's doing is he's dropping, I'll just call, call them wisdom bombs on him, okay? And, and he's gonna drop these, these nuggets of wisdom, telling him to walk in wisdom, lead with wisdom. My call to us this morning, I'm gonna give it away all up front. Um, from this text, is very simple. It's walk in wisdom. Uh, no matter what you're facing in your life today, or in your ministry, and yes, I said ministry because if you're in Jesus, you got a ministry. Walk in wisdom no matter what you're facing. If you're here and you're a leader, if you're a leader in your home, if you're a leader in your job, um, in the church, in a ministry, in, if you're a leader in the community, walk in wisdom. Lead in wisdom. That's our call today. And I want to give you one warning before I read our text and we get to work. Um, This one's going to be a weird one because I don't think there's ever been a sermon where I'm going to ask you so many questions. This is a morning of self-reflection. So I want to encourage you to be prepared for this. So we're going to look at these wisdom bombs, but then I'm going to just give you a ton of questions to ask yourself for self-reflection and evaluation so get ready. You're going to be in the, in, the, in the hot seat, okay, this morning. Um, and it's good. This text is going to point us here. So let me, let me read our text, and then we'll pray, and then we'll, we'll get to work, okay? First uh, Timothy 5, verses 21 through 23. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Now I got some of your attention. You're like, what is he? Let's pray and then we'll get started. God, in this moment, we um, ask as we always do for your help. Will you help us as we come to your word? Would you give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear? God, would you help me as a preacher of your word that you would um, speak? That I would not get in the way of what you would have for your church. And this morning, lastly, would, would all of this just edify 
our church, build us up that we may glory and worship the name above all names. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen, amen. All right, so I just read our text, and I said it was going to be a lot about wisdom, and some of you may have heard that and said, well, Justin, you didn't, there's not even the word wisdom in the text. What are you talking about? Um, that's fair. That's fair. But what we're going to see is that the idea and the importance of wisdom is all over this text, and it's been all over our text for quite a few verses uh, leading up to this, especially as a leader. Um, wisdom is... Uh, soundness of action and decision. It's the ability to apply our knowledge and experiences with good judgment to make good decisions. Listen, for us, one way to think about it, it, wisdom, godly wisdom, is the ability to apply this, the truth of God in Scripture, the ability to, to apply the truth of God to real life situations. Um. And you know this already, I know you do, uh, but oftentimes life is not cut and dry, black and white, is it? So many times there's not like, this is clearly the right thing to do, and this is clearly the wrong thing to do. In so many situations, they don't, at least they don't appear to be black and, and white. So what do we do? Well, we walk in wisdom is what we do, and that's easier said than done at times. Um, I want to start with our first verse in verse 21. Uh, In verse 21, it says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels. And I want to pause there just to clear something up. Um, This is a call to witnesses. And um, this is not some call to like worship angels or anything. Don't don't go crazy. This is a call to like a gathering of witnesses. Um, And and when it says elect angels, some of your radars might have been ping, ping, what what, what is that? these are the angels that stayed true to Christ and didn't, weren't misled by Lucifer. And I'll show you what I mean. Jude 6 points this out. Um, Jude 6 says, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling and he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of that great day. So what we see here is, is these angels here in Jude, we see what has been sometimes called the fallen angels. And so when we see in our text um, in, in uh, 1 Timothy, what Paul is referring to is the unfallen angels, the one who stayed true, the ones who stayed true to Jesus. Um, and, and so what Paul is doing here is he's referring to the heavenly host, the heavenly witness. He says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, this is witness language. I want to argue that this is a continuation of what we saw in the verse or two before. In First uh, Timothy 5, 19, it says, don't admit a charge against an elder. We talked about this last week. Except What? except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Paul's using that same language here with Timothy in the presence of God and Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, the two, the three. This is witness language. This is, this is Paul saying in the presence of, in the eyes of witnesses, the heavenly host, and he says, I charge you to keep these rules. These rules are, are pointing us back to what we've been walking through the last couple of weeks. Um, These instructions to the elders. He says, I charge you to keep them. In the presence of witnesses, I charge you to keep them. And how? He says, without prejudging, 
doing nothing from partiality. All right, I told you this is gonna be a morning of like a wisdom bomb drop. And so I'm gonna give you four wisdom bombs from this text this morning. And this is the first one. The first bit of wisdom that, that Paul is giving Timothy here is do not be partial with people, but treat all people with love and justice in Christ. Do not be partial, but fair. This is the wisdom of impartiality. So partiality is having that unfair bias toward one person over another or one thing in comparison to another. It's favoritism. And God's word is so clear, so clear that partiality and favoritism have no place in the church. Um, in fact, in James 2.1, it probably says it the most directly, my brothers, show no partiality. It's about as cut and dry. I have one even more cut and dry. Why do you think God's word would tell us as the church to not be partial? Well, because our God is not partial. Romans 2, 11, for God shows no partiality. Again, this is about as cut and dry as it gets. Um, the truth, this is the truth that kind of wrecked Peter when, when God was calling Gentiles clearly into the church in Acts 10, Peter opened his mouth and said, I truly understand that God shows no partiality. Here's the thing. God shows no partiality, and the church should therefore show no partiality. That's what we see here. And this can be tough, though, because in our flesh, we tend to want to show favoritism to certain people over other certain people. The people we like more or more like us or who think like us, we show favoritism sometimes to people who can give us more, benefit us more, have more money, more power. We show favoritisms, we can, for so many different reasons, and yet God's word is clear. Romans 2.11, God shows no partiality. James 2.1, my brothers, therefore, show no partiality. We see it clear in scripture, and yet we struggle, and, and so the call here is to show no partiality. And I want you to think about one thing before I get to the questions that I'm gonna ask you about this wisdom bomb. Um, why do you think that this would be so important as a leader? Why do you think impartiality would be so important and critical for a leader, especially in this early church? If you think about it, these church leaders, we have already seen them. They were called upon to make decisions in the church. There were crazy things happening in this church. There were false teachers coming up. They were deceiving people and people were being misled and leaving the church. And these leaders, these elders, were the ones being called on to act in wisdom and to make decisions based on these situations. And um, you wanna know what one thing that would kill their ability to make wise decisions more than anything else? Partiality favoritism. Church, partiality breeds corruption, destroys trust, creates division and injustice, and ultimately it leads to brokenness in the church. Um, I could share a lot of examples, but listen, when money or power or popularity sway decisions in the church, we begin to walk in foolishness and sin, not in wisdom. And here Paul is calling Timothy, walk in wisdom in his leadership by doing nothing from partiality. So here's the question um, that we can ask ourselves from this. When we are faced with a decision, when we are faced with an, uh, a situation in our lives or in our church, where we have to, we're called on to make a decision. How do we walk in wisdom and avoid partiality? I'm only gonna give you three questions for self-reflection on this. 
as I give you these, um, I'm gonna put them in first person. I want you to ask yourself these questions. Question number one, do I value and affirm the worth of each individual in my church community? Um, Listen, we are one in Christ. Galatians 3.28, we are equal in Christ. Regardless of age, race, ethnicity, how much is in your bank account, how many houses or where those houses are located, or how many cars or how nice those cars may be. Regardless of any of those things, we are one in Christ. Our identity is firmly rooted in two things. First and foremost, it's rooted in the image of God. Each and every one of you are created in the image of God. And as such, you have incredible worth and dignity and sanctity that is beneath all things. Now, for those of you who are in Christ who have been saved and justified and are in Christ. Listen, your identity is firmly now rooted in Christ. You are his, you are new creations in him. And that means that every single individual in the church, each and every one of us has an incredible worth and value. It means that people are not given to the church so that the church can use them for their own agendas. It means that People are not the bricks that we use to build our own kingdoms. No, it means that each person has incredible value and worth and dignity in Christ. And each decision, each situation that we have to make, it's, it's, it's a good self-reflection question to ask ourselves, are we genuinely valuing and affirming the worth of the people in our life regardless of their background, their appearances, their status, their age? Fill in the blank. Do I value and affirm the worth of each individual in my church community? Question number one. Second question, is my decision based on the word of God rather than personal bias? This goes right to motive. What are your motives? What are the motives that you have in making your decisions? Are your decisions, choices guided by the word of God, by by this, by biblical principles and truth, or are they led more on your personal bias and preference? And that leads to the third question, am I consistent in my treatment of others regardless of their circumstances or status? This is an important question. Am I consistent? I'm all about consistency, and yet my biases, my prejudices, they can leave me to be inconsistent. My partiality can lead me to treat people differently. And so these questions, do I value and affirm the worth of each person? Is my decision based on the word of God? And am I consistent with the people in my life? These are questions you can use to evaluate your heart and ask God, would you help me? Would you lead me if there is any partiality in me? And where there is, if there is, Would you give me the ability to see people with your eyes, make decisions based on your truth, and be consistent with the way I treat people in my life? Do not show partiality. It's how we walk in wisdom. Paul doesn't stop there. He continues in verse 22, and he says this, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. Now, what on earth is that? Um, If you are here and you're not from a church background, maybe you're new to church, first of all, I love that you're here. Um, Second of all, this might sound real weird. 
Like laying on of hands sounds like kind of a, a beat down, uh, like rough them up a little bit, like don't be quick to rough them up, which there's truth to that. Um, there is some wisdom to that. But here's the thing, that's not what, what Paul is getting at here. When we see this laying on of hands here in this text, Paul is pointing to how quickly we put people in significant places of leadership and influence in our lives and churches. How quickly we put people into leadership in our church and in our ministries, how quickly we send people out and commission, commission them. Um, this laying on of hands is very similar, and I'll put this on, on the screen so you won't have to you know, flip back and forth here, but to what we see in Acts 13. When they were gathered around, worshiping, fasting, listening for the Lord's guidance, we read in, in verse two, while they were worshiping the, the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then verse three says, then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. That's the laying on of hands that we see here in First Timothy. Um, it's when the church comes around people and say, we see this in you. We see the Lord's calling and gifting in your life. And we're coming around you to pray for you and send you out. It looks like, it looks like this. That was when uh, earlier this year, we brought Paul Hody and, and Disciple Community Church that we were launching on the West Side. When we brought them up here and we all laid hands on them, that's what this is. Or this, this is a picture of, of us just a few weeks ago when we sent out missionaries to a very difficult place in North Africa. This, these are new pictures from just this year, but it's anytime we bring up a new elder or staff member or a missionary, it's anytime we come around someone and affirm them and, and say, we see the calling and the giftings on your life. And whether that's here in our congregation or sending them out to another mission field, that is the laying on of hands that Paul has in mind here. And what does he say about it? Do not be hasty in doing that. Don't be hasty. Uh, wisdom bomb number two. Ready? Do not be hasty to leadership, but be patient in your growth and discipleship. Do not be hasty to leadership. Don't be quick to put someone into leadership. Don't be quick to put yourself into leadership. Don't be quick to send someone out for leadership on the mission field. Don't be quick to be sent out. Don't be hasty. Slow. Slow down. So we say in our house, slow your roll, slow it down. Um, I'm about to confess something to you. I am a church planter and uh, I get to work with church planters a lot. And I gotta tell you, church planters are the absolute worst at this. We are the worst. There is no group of people I don't think that are worse than, than us. So this feels like the pot calling the kettle black. I think that's the expression. Um, but here's the thing. I can get so excited for what God's doing and what he's doing in the people and how he's at work and that excitement can lead me to be hasty and just ready fire aim with people. And it's so terrible and risky. I can't tell you how many times over and over I've had, I get to coach church planters now and um, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had that sound something similar to this. You ready? Um, I'll ask how are things going? They will respond, good. I found another leader. Um, and I think he's gonna be the first elder. Really? That's great. What's his background? I don't know, but he's great. You're gonna love him. He loves the Lord. 
that's incredible. How long have you known him? Well, he's been coming for about a month, but you're gonna love him. He loves Jesus. Okay, don't be hasty in the laying on of hands. And there's no like stipulation for how excited you are. Don't be hasty. A coach of mine told me several years ago, take extra months and sometimes even extra years to get to know a potential leader before you lay hands on them. Because if you don't and you make someone a leader who shouldn't be, it will take you years and years and years and years to fix all the problems that you caused. That is so true. Um, I think we can feel ready before we are. I think we can feel that other people are ready before they are because we feel the urgency and this text reminds us, don't be hasty. Paul appeals to Timothy with urgency. Don't be hasty in this. Um, The principle here is this. In all of our excitement, we can jump into, be too quick to jump into leadership. And Paul says, don't be hasty. In all of our excitement, we can be quick to make someone else a leader. Don't be hasty. And if you're here and you desire to minister in the church, which I hope you do, if you desire to lead in the church, which I think all of you should in some way, um, don't be afraid of time. Don't Don't try to bypass the time that it takes to get you there. Discipleship is a long haul endeavor and we are a long haul ministry here at Stone Oak Bible. Um, we're a church who desires to be here for the long haul. We don't know the future, but we know Jesus does. Uh, and we know the mission's great. We feel the urgency. But here's the thing. In God's grace, we want to push back against that temptation to rush. And we want to take the time that it truly takes to make disciples and grow. Americans, like, we like things quick. We are the microwave generation. Instant. We all come from this. But here's the thing. Biblical ministry is much more like a slow cooker than it is a microwave. And, and discipleship is absolutely a slow cooker. Um, you just can't microwave this. It just makes it nasty. It's a slow cooker. And so get any idea of microwave discipleship, let's get that out of our head because what Paul is after here is he's saying protect the congregations from leaders who weren't ready for leadership by, being, by not being hasty and making them leaders. And so I, I told you this is the morning of questions and so I have some self-reflection for you now. As we think about this and we, we were like, well, well, I hear you, pastor, but how do I know if I'm ready to lead How do I know if I'm ready to step in? And as elders, as pastors, how do we know when people are ready? Question number one. Am I growing in my faith and understanding of God's word? Or am I rushing into leadership without a solid foundation? So this is kind of a general question to assess your own growth in in faith. Are you taking the time to deepen your understanding of God's word? Are you cultivating a strong spiritual foundation before you pursue that leadership role? Question number two. Have I sought the counsel of the trusted mentors and leaders to evaluate my readiness? Um, Listen, you're not called to operate in a vacuum, okay? Um, We need to seek wise counsel. Have you consulted wise counsel to assess your readiness? Or are you making this decision in isolation? Question number three. 
Am I demonstrating consistent and faithful service within the church already? Or am I eager for leadership for the sake of position or recognition? Okay, this one goes to motive a little bit. This is a hard one. Are you seeking leadership out of that genuine desire to serve, to contribute? Or is the eagerness driven by a desire for some personal recognition or status? Question number four. Have I allowed sufficient time for God to shape my character? To refine my leadership qualities. Again, do not be hasty. Have you allowed God to work on you over time? Um, leadership is not just about having the hard skills. It's about godly character. Are you willing to be patient? Question number five. Am I seeking opportunities to learn and grow as a disciple and a potential leader? Listen, although you should not be hasty in saying, bring it, I'm a leader. Um, you shouldn't be hasty in that. You should be hasty in taking every opportunity you have to serve the people around you and to serve in the church. Um, last question, and this one is so basic, and it goes back to Acts 13. If you remember, Acts 13, 3 says, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. But do you remember what came right before that? After fasting and praying, they laid their hands. So question number six, very simple. Have I prayed? Have I fasted about what God is calling me to do? Pray, fast, seek the Lord. Wisdom is from the Lord. I told you, lots of self-examination this morning. Um, walk in wisdom. We have don't be partial and don't be hasty. Number two, be, be patient. Let's continue. Verse 22 says, don't be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Okay, we see two things here. Number one, there is this kind of open awareness of the sin that's been going on in this church. Like it's, these are real sins, real people, real situation, and this sin is somewhat in the open. Paul knows about it. And, and number two, Paul, in light of that, is calling Timothy to be different, to be set apart, distinct. He's calling Timothy to purity. He says, don't take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Paul is reminding Timothy to keep his life in order because it's easy in loving and serving others to let your own life wander. You can focus so much on mission that we neglect our own walk. And Paul is urging Timothy, don't follow after them. Follow after this. Wisdom bomb number three. Here we go. This one might be rough to practice at times, by the way. Do not follow others into sin be set apart. Um, walking in wisdom will cause you to be set apart, will often require you to not be a lemur. You know what that is? Like, it's the people who see a crowd and they're like, go to the crowd. It's gonna require us not to do that. Um, I know that we're tribal people. We wanna fit in a community. We wanna keep up with the Joneses. No offense if your last name is Jones. Um, it, none of us wanna stick out. None of us want to be the odd ones, right? Um, and even, maybe you're here and you do like being odd. You know who you are. Um, even you will seek other people to be odd with. Why is that? It's because no matter who you are, no matter how introverted or odd you might want to be, we're created for community and we long to belong. 
And that's why this wisdom bomb is different because there will be times when the crowd is going left and you have to go right. Are you willing to go right? Um, there can be a loneliness that you feel when you go right, but, but the truth is in Christ, you're never alone. But at times, walking in wisdom is going to set you apart. Paul says, do not take part of the sins of others, but keep yourself pure. When they're all going left, you go right. This is a call to walk a different path. This is a call kind of going back to count, counting the cost. If you think of Jesus in Luke 14, when he says, whoever doesn't, Bear his cross cannot be my disciple. Which of you building a, ca- a tower doesn't first sit down and count the cost? This is counting the cost, church. Walking a different path is one of the costs that we must count as a follower of Jesus. As a disciple, yes, but this is especially true, church, for you as a leader. Um, and so I have some questions for you with this, and I wanna give you these questions for you to self-evaluate again that we can walk in this. Question number one, and I, am, am I pursuing holiness and righteousness? Or am I indulging in behaviors that the culture promotes but the Bible condemns? Um, take a moment to reflect on your actions, on your choices. Are you striving to live your life in alignment with Christ and in alignment with this? Or are you engaging in behaviors that the culture may say is okay, but that this clearly says is not? Question number two, this leads us to this. Is my moral compass guided by God's word or is it swayed by cultural trends? Um, Where do you derive your moral rights and wrongs, your standards from? Where is your compass rooted? Do you find yourself being swayed by the shifting values of culture? Question number three, am I living a life that honors God or one that seeks approval and acceptance of the world? This deals with what's your aim? What's your aim? What's your goal? Are you living your life in a way that seeks his approval or are you primarily concerned with gaining acceptance and approval from the world around you? Question number four. Do my entertainment choices, conversations, and online activities reflect my new life in Christ? Um, These things matter. Why do they matter? Not because you're saved by your works, um, but because these things tend to reflect your values. And uh, when the world goes left, we go right. And so do the activities of your life align more with the word of God, or do they promote and engage with people and content that go against this? Question number five, am I willing to make countercultural choices in obedience with God's word, even if, even in the face of opposition and rejection? Are you willing to be countercultural, go against the grain when it's costly? Have you counted the cost? Question number six, am I regularly confessing and repenting of sin? Okay, this is something we talked about last week. Uh, but, but the way of Jesus is all about the life of taking sin out of the dark corners of our lives, dragging it into the light, thereby weakening it through confession and repentance. Are we confessing and repenting of our sin and seeking God's mercy and grace and forgiveness? And last question, am I accountable to a community of believers who can help me stay on the path 
of righteousness. Think about this. Just like Timothy here uh, is being held accountable by Paul in our letter, we need to seek accountability within our church community. Are we actively engaged with fellow believers that can provide that support, encouragement, correction when needed to help us stay on the path? These are huge questions, huge questions. So, so in Christ, your call is, is to go down this path when everyone else is going down this path. And are you ready to go this way when the rest of the world is going that way? Matthew 7, you don't need to go here, but if you remember, Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate, um, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and death. Those who enter it are many. The gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. This is a call of discipleship. Um, it's the call to the narrow road. And so do not follow others in sin, but be set apart. Walking in wisdom will set you apart. All right, I have one more, and we have one more verse. Uh, one more wisdom bomb. So don't be partial with people. Don't be hasty in le to leadership. And don't follow others into sin. Then we have verse 23. What is verse 23 doing? I mean, it's in parentheses. What are we doing here? Um, it seems a little random. It seems like now we focus on physical health. That seems to come out of nowhere. So what's happening here? Uh, verse 23 says, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Okay, regardless of your view of alcohol this morning, uh, in order to understand this text, um, we need some context. Specifically, I want you to turn back with me maybe a page to chapter four of the same letter that you're in in 1 Timothy. In 1 Timothy 4, starting out that chapter, it says, now the Spirit expressly states that in later times, some are gonna depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits Teachings of demons, I mean, this sounds terrible, through insincere, the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. It sounds horrible. But listen to this. Listen to what the false teachers were doing in this church and teaching in this church. Are you ready? Verse three. These false teachers who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. Now, we walk through this text what feels like so long ago now, um, but here's what was happening. In this early church, there were false teachers rising up and uh, most likely they were connected to a group called the, the, the um, Essens and, and we're not gonna get into the weeds on that. The, the, but what they were teaching, among other things, is they were banning certain foods and especially alcohol. What they did is they were teaching, rising up, teaching that you cannot get married and you cannot drink certain drinks and eat certain foods. They were rising up, and here's the thing. False teachers were rising up in the church and they were bringing these teachings in the church. They were bringing the, the teachings from out there, from the culture, not from this, but they were bringing it from out there and bringing it into the church. And they were bringing these teachings into the church saying, 
you can't eat that. You can't drink that. Um, And these false teachers were here in the early church teaching this asceticism, telling people they need to abstain from these foods. And here Paul is speaking directly to that situation. Um, And that's what this verse is. And so here he gives this almost fatherly advice here, urging him, Timothy, take some wine to help your digestion. Now, at this time, both Jews and Greeks, they both used wine for medicinal purposes. But Paul here was offering this very practical counsel. And I want to give two clarifications here. This was not Paul leading Timothy into alcoholism. All right? Uh, No. He's not calling Paul to abuse or use wine, even for pleasure in this case. Um, So that's on this hand. On the other hand... Paul is also not condemning those who choose not to drink alcohol Um, for whatever reason, maybe to avoid its abuse or for other medical reasons. He's not condemning those people. What I want you to see when you see this verse is this verse is doing two things. Number one, it's a condemnation, and number two, it's practical advice. So on this hand, the condemnation side, I want you to hear me. Paul is condemning Timothy for avoiding wine if his reason for avoiding wine were the false teachings of these false teachers in the church. He said in chapter four already, everything created by God is good. Don't listen to them. Nothing's to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving and and. Here in this verse, in in our verse 23, it's a direct application of this. Paul is encouraging Timothy, don't buy into the teachings of these people to believe that this food is evil and that drink is evil, but instead push against the false teachings in the church. This is a condemnation for for following after these false teachings, okay? That's on this hand. On the other hand, it's just really practical advice. Um, This is basically saying, hey, Timothy, don't listen to the false teachers. And by the way, Timmy, take a tonic for your stomach. Like we can read more into it than that. But at the heart, that is what is going on in this text. This is exactly what we see here. It's a condemnation for the false teachers at this time. And it is practical advice for this young pastor. All right, and so here's the wisdom bomb from this. We had, number one was don't be partial with people. Treat people with love and justice and impartial and fair. Number two, we saw don't be hasty to leadership, but be patient in your growth and discipleship. Number three is we said, don't follow others into sin, but be set apart. And then the last one I have for us this morning from this text is don't follow others into false teachings, but cling to the word of God. We need to constantly fight against this because here's the thing. It's so easy to create extra biblical things that we put into the church, requirements and teachings that fill our minds and our homes and our churches and to put these practices and teachings, extra biblical things on ourselves and on other people. To say things like Christians don't do that. Christians don't drink that. Christians don't eat that. Christians don't watch that. Christians don't fill in the blank. Spend their time with this or doing that. And I want to be clear here. I'm not talking about the things that the word of God are clear on. All right. Um, 
I'm not talking about the times when we see the heart of God clearly in his word. Like I'll take the easiest one. Um, I'm not talking about murder, okay? Um, We should be able to say as the church loudly and clearly, thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not murder. We should, that should be something we can say easily. Not talking about those kind of things. What I am talking about here are the added things. The things that we take and put on top of this. Not the thou shall not murder, but let's just take what the essence we're doing. Thou shall not drink wine. Okay? It's, it's taking things and putting it on top. And if we're not careful, our legalistic hearts, they can run wild. Um, we can create a long list of added qualifications that are much more cultural and personal than they are biblical. And false teachers, guess what? They are really good at doing that. If you are a weirdo like me and like to like study like cults, when cult movements start, now you're all worried about me. I do enjoy it though. I, I enjoy it. Um, it's funny that at the, the heart of it all, is this, this ability to create extra biblical things and to pull people in and to say, this and, this and, and all of a sudden the and becomes more powerful than the, 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 the this. And that's what false teachers do. That's the way they differentiate themselves and their followers. And church, that's exactly what was happening here in this early church. And that's exactly what Paul was saying, Timothy, don't you dare do that. Walk in wisdom. And that means pushing against, don't follow after these people into their false teaching. So I want to give you a couple questions with this one. Um, and it's more than the wine here, all right? These are not going to be seven wine questions, all right? Question number one. I think this gets to the heart of this text. Are my beliefs and practices in alignment with the Bible, or am I conforming to social trends and opinions? In other words, are your beliefs and practices shaped by this, or are they more influenced by the culture around us? Are, they, are you conforming to the world standards or seeking to conform to Jesus? Leads to question number two. Do my convictions reflect the timeless truths of scripture? Or do they change with every cultural shift? My goodness, is culture changing fast today, isn't it? Fads and trends, they come and go. The essence, they, they came and went. We don't deal with them anymore, do we? So are we holding on to the timeless biblical truths that remain unchanged or do your beliefs kind of fluctuate and with this ever-changing cultural landscape that we get to walk through? Um, this question forces us to assess the stability of our convictions. Question number three, am I willing to stand firm in my faith even when it contradicts popular culture? This goes back a little bit to what we saw when everyone's going you know, left and we need to go right? Are you willing to go down the left path? Are you prepared to be countercultural for the sake of Christ and his word? Question number four, am I studying and applying regularly the word of God to discern truth from falsehood? Here's the thing, we're not gonna be able to spot what is false if we do not know this, know what is true. Are you actively seeking God's word to discern truth from falsehood? Or are you relying on culture to do that? Question five, am I open to reevaluating my beliefs and practices in light of scripture? Listen, this one hit me because this is what Timothy was doing here. Paul was challenging Timothy to reevaluate his practice and belief. And are you willing to do that in light of scripture? 
Are you willing to reevaluate your beliefs, your actions, your choices when you are confronted with the truth of scripture, even when it challenges your cultural upbringing or your personal preferences? Last question. Am I seeking godly counsel and guidance from fellow believers and spiritual leaders? Um, just as Timothy here in our text, he's getting this counsel and guidance from Paul. Are you seeking wise counsel? You do not need to go this alone. Are you actively engaged, engaging with trusted leaders and trusted friends and mentors that can help you navigate the tension between culture and scripture that we're able to walk in wisdom together as leaders? As we look at all of this and bring it all together, we're not partial with people. We're impartial with all people in Christ, loving, just, and fair. We're not hasty into leadership, but we are patient in our growth in our leadership. We don't follow others into sin, but we are set apart and we go right when everyone else is going left. And we don't follow others into this false teaching, but we cling to the word of God above all else. There is so much more here, but we're gonna pause here and we're gonna pick up next week right here. And, and listen, church, we have a really important text next week as we finish out chapter five. Um, it's hard to stop here for me, but some of your stomachs are already growling. And so I get that. Next week though, we're gonna press on and I wanna invite you to be part of that. But for now, let's pause, let's reflect. I've given you a lot of self-evaluation. Let's pause and reflect in prayer before we respond together this morning.